The book of Jude, there's only one chapter right, so it's right before Revelation, not too hard to find. Had somebody, I heard somebody said, well, we're doing the book of Jude, it probably won't take us very long. <laughs> well, we'll cover three more verses again. <laughs> but Jude, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 10. Jude 8 through 10. Uh, I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, or the title rather, The Spiritual Twilight Zone. The Spiritual Twilight Zone in verses 8 through 10. It says, likewise, and he's connecting us back to the description, the part of the description of these false believers, of these apostates that we looked at last week. Likewise, also, these dreamers, or the King James Version, which I think does a good job of Describing it even better, it says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these... Speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. Let's pray before we continue. Holy Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for how you're blessing our church, Lord. Lord, thank you for the salvation of these two young men who's come forward in the last couple of weeks, Lord. And God, I just ask you that you'll bring more. I ask you that you'll save more souls here. I ask you that we won't keep that baptistry empty very long at all, Lord. Lord, thank you for adding to your kingdom. Thank you for showing us fruit from our labors here, Lord. I just ask you that that will energize us all. I ask you that that will energize our Sunday school teachers, our nursery workers, our children's church workers, Lord, our gospel project workers, to show them that their labor is not in vain, Lord. Father, you're producing fruit through their faithfulness to you and to preach and teach your holy word. Lord, I ask you to go with us as we look at your scripture this morning. Lord, I ask you to move me out of the way. Just speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I ask you that if anybody here, Lord, is stuck in the spiritual twilight zone, that they'll snap out of it this morning, Father. And I ask you that you'll give us uh, enough sense to see those who are in the spiritual twilight zone and help us not to follow anything they have to say. Lord, I just ask you to to just speak to us this morning, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, some of the younger folks may not, and I probably shouldn't even remember this, but I was weird and I watched stuff like this when I was a kid. But you may not remember a show called The Twilight Zone. I think there's been some, some remakes of it, some movies remade of it. But the show The Twilight Zone was really popular in the late 1950s through the 1960s, maybe into the 1970s. And in that show, The Twilight Zone, uh, people would find themselves stuck in this alternate reality, right? Uh, it would seem real to them at the time, but they were stuck in this alternate reality. And when they were stuck in that alternate reality, they'd find themselves in all kinds of situations there until finally they snapped out of it. And they were back in the real world, right? Well, the sad truth is many in the church today are living in the twilight zone. 
Many so-called Christians, many professed Christians are living in a spiritual twilight zone. These people claim they're Christians, but they don't observe the disciplines of the Christian faith. They don't live by the teachings of Christ. In other words, they don't live their lives by the teaching of the Word of God. And so they're stuck in this twilight zone. These people, you can identify them. There's many ways to identify them. And that's kind of what we're going through in the book of Jude. And Second Peter tells us the same thing. We see it throughout the New Testament. But just a few ways. Their language, it mimics the language of the world. Their dress, it mirrors the dress of the world. Their morals copycat the morals of the world. And sadly, much of the so-called church today is determined to fit in with the culture instead of fitting in with what the Word of God says. So much of the so-called church today is determined to be what, uh, what they would call relevant, right? They even try to make their church services relevant. They try to entertain people at church instead of telling people what they need to hear, what the Word of God says about the issues of the day. They, they try to be uh, relevant, Sadly, much of the church today neglects God's call to holiness. They neglect when the Word of God tells us we're to live like the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to strive to be like Him. Today, many people claim to be spiritual, but they're not godly. Listen, there's a big difference in claiming to be spiritual and being godly. To be godly, you must seek to live by what the Word of God says. A lot of people today, they claim to be spiritual and they claim to have religion, but they deny the power of religion. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit living within you when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people today are sporadic in church attendance or don't attend at all. Many people today are stingy in their giving or they don't give at all. Many people today frequently abuse alcohol and abuse tobacco and abuse language, use profanity, just like anybody out there on the street. Many people today claim to be Christians, but they practice the world's lewdness, as we've already talked about in the book of Jude. And all the while they say this, it's no big deal. I'm free in Christ. We talked about that, right? We talked about how they use the grace of God as a license to sin. And by doing that, they have not experienced the grace of God at all. Many people today claim to be salt and light, but actually they're darkness and dirt. Many people today, so-called Christians, leave behind biblical doctrine. They make fun and they ridicule expository preaching like we do here at Providence Baptist Church. They say, oh, that old book's just nonsense. There's no reason to believe every verse of that, of that Bible. It's just an ancient document. Many people today leave moral integrity at the door and they laugh at people and say, oh, that's just old-fashioned. Or better yet, they say, that's just legalism. Have you heard that? I want to tell you something this morning. Legalism is not obeying the Word of God. That's not legalism. Legalism is adding to what the Word of God says and adding rules to it. Listen, it is not legalism to obey what the Word of God tells us to do. You know what that's called? Biblicism. I don't know if that's a word. I just made that up. Listen, that's what we're to be doing. But so-called Christians, that are false Christians, they don't do that. They're self-deceived. And they're stuck in the spiritual twilight zone. And again, 
Jude realized this. He realized the immense danger of these these false believers, these so-called believers, these apostates. And he he realized the danger they uh, are. Uh, 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 I'll, you'll get it when I get it. They realize, he realized the danger, the threat they had to the church. So he exhorts his readers again in verse three of Jude: Contend earnestly for the faith. Defend the faith. Don't let these people spread their lies. He tells us to battle for the pure doctrine of the common salvation against those who would undermine the gospel, against those who would pervert the gospel and teach a false gospel. But because these false teachers and these false believers, according to verse 4, have crept in unnoticed, this is a challenge. And so we need to be prepared for this. We need to be able to identify this. We need to be able to recognize this false form of Christianity and expose it before it inflicts harm upon our churches and upon our families and upon our kids. And also, we need to be able to examine ourselves to whether or not we are believing in some kind of false form of Christianity. To examine ourselves to see whether or not we're false believers. And so he warns us of all this. And so with all that in view, the passage before us this morning continues to show us the true face of these false believers. First of all, these false believers are dreamers. It says they're dreamers in the first part of verse 8. It says, likewise also, these filthy dreamers. Because I'm filthy dreamers. Now this means at least two things. First of all, it means these apostates, these false Christians, they claim to have these dreams or these special revelations and they say, this is authoritative. They say, God has spoke to me in these dreams or this so-called special revelation. They say, this is a divine source of new truth. God has spoken to me. Oftentimes they do that. And really, that's just lies and distortion. That's not truth. The only truth we have is the Word of God. This is the final and full revelation of Almighty God. But these false believers, they claim to have a new truth from God. And they substitute their own counterfeit authority, their own counterfeit truth for God's scriptural authority, for God's Word. Uh, you can usually identify this type of person by, they, they'll say stuff like this, they'll say, God told me. God told me this. God spoke to me. God gave me this revelation. Listen, God's not giving new revelation. We have a full finished canon of Holy Scripture. His revelation is right here. There is nothing new. If you see these so-called prophets on Facebook telling us they've got a message from God, a new message from God, baloney. There's not a new revelation. There's not a new message. It's all right here. If anybody tells you they have some type of message from the Lord, and I'm not denying the Lord won't speak to people, but listen, if the Lord speaks to you, that's for you. And if anybody tells you anything that the Lord has told them, you weigh that against the Word of God. And if it contradicts this in one dot or tittle, it's garbage. Listen, this is the full revelation of God. But many times these false believers, they'll, they'll say, oh, well, God told me this. God spoke to me. But also... These people, they often claim to have some kind of extra biblical authority, right? They found something else. This is how a lot of cults start. This is how Jehovah's Witnesses start. This is how Mormonism starts. Uh, This is how uh, people use liberal scholars. And they say, well, uh, uh, this over here, this, this has to go along with the Word of God too. 
It's not just this, but this has to go with it. The Roman Catholics have a lot of that. They have all kinds of stuff that go along with the Bible that they use. So they say they have extra biblical authority, and they use that to justify their immorality. They use that to be able to live the way that they want to live, and so they don't have to do exactly what the Word of God says. Now the context of this within the first part of verse 8, it connects us back to sexual sin. It says likewise. That connects us back with verse 7 where, and, and, and above where it was talking about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah and all that sexual immorality that goes on. And so the primary context is sexual sin, but it don't limit, limit it to sexual sin. All of the people use this to justify all types of sin, but specifically sexual sin. And so these false believers are so deceived that they're convinced that all this other extra biblical stuff that they basically put as equal with the Word of God, they're so deceived that they think that's God telling them it's okay to live their immoral lifestyles. That's how deceived these people are. Here's some examples. They twist Scripture. They'll take a scripture, they'll, they'll isolate it, they'll take it completely out of contact, context, and they'll try to make it fit their lifestyle. Say, so see, it says it's okay. They twist scripture. Not only that, they use fake and pseudo-scholars. They'll take fake scholars and use, for example, Greek scholars, Hebrew scholars. They'll say, well, this Hebrew scholar says this word in the Bible means this. And they'll take fake scholars who know absolutely nothing about the original language and twist words to fit their beliefs. We see that all the time because now we have the Queen James Version of the Bible that the homosexuals use to try to propagate that their lifestyle is correct. We have the New World Translation that the Jehovah's Witnesses have corrupted to try to fit their lifestyle. And the list goes on and on and on. People will just take and twist the truth and basically lie about what the Word of God says. Listen, this is what these false believers do. They'll try to pervert the Word of God. Secondly, the fact that they're dreamers. It also means that these false believers, these apostates, they just have perverted evil imaginations and they are completely out of touch with reality. They're delusional. You can watch the news for five seconds and see this in the world today. These people are out of touch with reality. They have rejected the Word of God. And so that means one thing. Since they have rejected the Word of God, they base all their deceptive teachings, they base their misguided thoughts on their own deluded and debased and demonized minds. You see, when you, when you reject God and you reject the Word of God, according to Romans chapter 1, guess what you're tar- turned over to? Your own debased mind. This is where they get their theories. This is where they get their teachings from their own minds. These people live in a dream world. Where anything goes. They say things like this. Sodomy is an alter, just a natural alternate lifestyle. I'm not the smartest knife in the... In the, in the, the say, I can't even think of the analogy. But I'm not the smartest knife in the drawer. Okay? I, had, I grew up in Bodkow. But it's not easy to take a man and a woman and tell how the puzzle fits, folks. These people are they're delusional. And they try to say things like, there's not, there's not just two genders. There's not just a male and a female. 
I'm here to tell you and remind you this morning, the Bible says God made them male and female, and if a, ma- if a person has a male part, he's a male. And if he has a female part, he's a female. Man. Folks, this is not rocket science, but these people are delusional. I mean, you see people on TV, people leading this country say, uh, gender is fluid. What? This is the kind of stuff our kids are seeing on TV. And if we're not teaching them the truth, they're liable to be persuaded and led astray by false believers. And listen to me, folks. This is not just... This is people claiming to believe in the Lord. They'll get up there and quote a Bible scripture and then turn right around and sign a piece of legislation that kills millions of babies and allows men to participate in girls' sports while all the while claiming to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is, that's, that's baloney. These people are lost. They're false believers. They'll say things like, abortion is just women's health care rights. But they won't tell you anything about the physical effects of abortion. They won't tell you anything about the emotional effects that abortion has on these women that affects them the rest of their lives. And they sure won't say anything about the effect it has on that baby because they deny that baby's a human being even though they say they believe in science. But science says that baby has a heartbeat. Science says that baby feels pain. Science says that baby responds to the sound of that mother's voice. But they don't have a single problem of cutting it into pieces or burning it with chemicals to take its life. These people are delusional. These filthy dreamers. Jude's got them pegged. These filthy dreamers call themselves Christians. Folks, they're stuck in the spiritual twilight zone. They're dreamers. They're filthy dreamers. Secondly, Jude says they defile the flesh. Second part of verse 8 says, These dreamers defile the flesh like those in Sodom and Gomorrah that this is connecting us back to again. These people seek to gratify their perverted sexual desires. They defile, that word means to pollute, God's natural design for sex. Peter said this about them in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He says, They indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. Folks, these people just sit around and dream up ways to sin sexually. They just dream up ways to do that. And then, to make it even worse, they try to say it's okay with God. That's the worst part about it. They redefine biblical terms to try to say homosexuality is okay. They justify fornication by saying it's just two consenting adults. It's not hurting anybody else. They lie and they say that God created people as homosexuals. Folks, that's not true. That's not biblical teaching. They lie and say Jesus never said marriage was between man and a woman. Have they read the New Testament? They make the mistake of taking the biblical record of sin to make it say that the Bible is condoning sin. Folks, just because the Bible records sin and the historical fact of sin, such as polygamy, we see polygamy all through the Scriptures. Sin is recorded in Scripture. But that does not mean the Bible condones it. The Bible just tells the truth. People were sinners. People had more than one wife. But the Bible always shows the horrible negative effects of that sin. 
They defile the flesh by killing unborn babies. They redefine biblical love as accepting any and every behavior. That's not biblical love. Biblical love never divorces God's love from God's holiness and God's justice. Never. That's why Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And they call all of this human rights. I'll tell you something. You have a right as a human being to participate in all this. But you don't have the right as a human being to agree with all that and participate in all that and call yourself a Christian. Because you're not. And you don't have the right to choose the consequences of falling into that type of lifestyle. Because the Lord is going to judge every person. And if you don't really have a relationship with Him, you're not a Christian. And you will not enter into His presence in glory. Sadly, many professing Christians go right along with every bit of that that we just mentioned. They're stuck in a spiritual twilight zone. They defile the flesh. Thirdly, they reject authority. Look at the third part of verse 8. It says, These dreamers, they reject authority. Or they despise dominion, your version might say. These false Christians... They despise God's authorities. They count as nothing, is what the the word literally means. God's authorities. In other words, they reject authority on every level. They reject the authority of the family. They reject the authority of the church. They reject the authority of the government. They reject the authority of Scripture. And they reject the authority and the lordship, as we've already seen, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm 12, 4, These are people who have said, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own lips. Who is the Lord over us? They think they are their own authorities. False Christians reject the authority of the man over the woman. I'm not going to win a lot of applause on this one. And they reject the authority of the husband over the wife. False Christians reject that. And a lot of people in the so-called church today, they claim that, hey, this is not relevant anymore. That's that's baloney. This is relevant. The Word of God stands forever. It never changes. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 23 and 24, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their own husbands in everything. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now that doesn't mean a woman is less equal than a man. A woman is created equal to a man. A woman has all the rights of a man. But the Lord has established a hierarchy of authority within that relationship. Just like Jesus Christ is no less equal to God, but God is in authority to Christ. There is a hierarchy there, and we are to uphold that. Kids in the household often reject the authority of their parents. Some kids claim to be saved, and they are completely rebellious against their parents. Kid, you need to examine yourself if that's your case. I'll I'll just mention one verse there. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Enough said. False Christians reject authority within the church. 
the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching folks. If you've got a person who's preaching and teaching the truth of God's Word to you in your church, you are to respect their authority. I know some people who run around all over town and run their preachers down. And as soon as the sermon's over or the Sunday school lesson's over, all they'll do is gripe about it and find something wrong with it. That's not the way it ought to be. I know some people who will run around and say, Man, that preacher's got it made. It must be nice just to talk for 30 minutes on a Sunday and make that money. People say that. Folks, that is not honoring the, 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 the preacher or the teacher or the elder's authority. False Christians reject governmental authority. Peter said in 2 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, 13, he said, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or the governor. He goes on to say, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Paul writes in Titus 3.1, he writes to remind uh, the Christians there, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And then in Romans 13.1, Paul said, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Folks, we're to respect, as long as the government is not telling you that you cannot do what this word instructs you to do, you are to submit to the government. We are to submit to those authorities. We're not to be terrorists. We're not to be out there rioting and burning and looting in the streets. We're not to be out there setting fires. We're not to practice civil, civil disobedience and let it, unless it comes to a direct violation of the Word of God, then we obey God rather than man. But that don't mean you go out there and burn the businesses down. Listen to me. Antifa is not of God. Black Lives Matter is not of God. And any conservative out there, conservative, so-called conservative group, even those who support Donald Trump, if they're out there burning stuff down and breaking into buildings and acting a fool, that is not of God. We are to submit to government authority. False Christians don't do that. False Christians also reject the authority of Christ. They reject the lordship of Jesus Christ. But Romans 10.9 says this, It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. you notice that word there? Lord. If you confess Him as Lord, not just if you say, Jesus, be my Savior, and then I'm going to forget about you the rest of my life. That's not how it works. We've talked about that. Jesus as Lord. That means the person who is in control of your life. A true Christian... Jesus is his Lord. John 10, 27 again. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they what? They follow me. He doesn't say they say a prayer and ask them to save them and then forget about him. No, they follow him. That's what real Christians do. But false Christians don't do that. They say, they name the name of Christ, they speak church language, and then they live their life like they've never met him. 
Folks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead established Him as the one who has all authority in heaven and in earth. He has the authority and we ought to submit to that authority. And those, by the way, who are called by His name will do that. They will gladly submit to His authority. So I ask you, are you submitting to His authority? But also false believers reject the authority of Scripture. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1.20.21 that man didn't speak what he wanted to speak. He didn't speak by private interpretation. He spoke as he was moved by the Holy Spirit of God. This is from the, this is from the Lord. This is not just something man made up. The Bible says in Psalm 19, 17 through 11, that God's Word is perfect and endures forever. And 2 John 1, 9 says, Anyone who does not abide in this Word does not have God. Folks, if you don't submit to the authority of Scripture according to the Word of God, you do not have God. False believers don't submit to this. I don't care if they name the name of Christ or not. If they don't submit to His Word, they're apostates. Fourth, they speak evil of dignitaries. Look at the last part of verse 8 and verse 9. It says, These dreamers speak evil of dignitaries. False believers are disrespectful. And nothing is sacred to them. These people slander folks. These people speak evil of people who are in places of authority. They speak evil of human authority. They speak evil of angelic authority. They speak evil of the authority of God Himself. They slander people. This word for dignitary speaks of those who hold an office that should command our respect and our recognition like the office of president. Because this is what we're seeing all the time today is why I bring that up. Folks, this doesn't mean you have to support their agenda. This doesn't mean you support what they believe in. But this does mean that we respect their place of authority. We respect that office. True Christians don't revile against somebody who's in authority. Listen, if we're reviling against the president that's in authority right now and speaking evil against him, then we're no different than those other people who were speaking evil against the past president. See people on Facebook verbally abusing dignitaries all the time. They'll call them names, even using cuss words. Folks, we need to remember that the powers that are in office, they're ordained by God. According to Romans chapter 13, 1 and 2, and it says that whoever resists authority is opposing the God who set them in place. So really, when you get down to it, reviling and speaking evil of a person in authority is blasphemy against God. That's the logical end of that. These people also revile against the Lord, the ultimate authority. They're not content with dreaming up these ridiculous uh, arguments to try to condone their sin. They're not content with defiling the flesh. They're not content with just rejecting authority. They also feel the need to revile and mock and speak evil against the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They blaspheme Him. The main way they blaspheme Christ is by denying His deity and denying His resurrection. 
You'll hear, you'll hear many of them say things like this. Oh, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead bodily. He just rose in believers' hearts. That's nonsense. That's not biblical. That's heresy. But Jude here gives us a contrast. He shows us how we're supposed to react to people in authority. And he does that by giving this uh, really neat example with Michael the archangel in verse 9. He says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil now, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So Jude gives us this direct contrast now of how Michael reacted to a person in authority and how these apostates react to someone in authority. And notice that Michael is dealing with the most uh, evil creature in existence. And this is how he reacts to him. Now, let me say this before we get into his reaction. This battle with the devil over the body of Moses is there's not a lot of information about it. It's very interesting, but it's not recorded anywhere else in Scripture. So this is something the Holy Spirit of God inspired to Jude. All right. Now we do have an account of Moses' burial in Scripture, and that's in Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6. And in that account of his burial, it says that he was buried in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor, but no man knows where his tomb is to this day. So why, the question is, did Michael battle with Satan over the body of Moses? Well, we can come up with several guesses. Some people believe Satan tried to take the body of Moses because he wanted to make an idol out of it. If he could use the body, because he was the, one of the most popular and greatest leaders in Israel's history. And so if he could have a place where it was buried and set up a, a place where they could come and worship Moses, that would pull them away from the one true God. I mean, if they'll worship a carved wooden image, how much more would they make an idol out of Moses? And so some people believe that's what Satan wanted to do. Some people believe this battle didn't take place at the actual death of Moses, but some people think it took place just before the event of the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus opened up the heavens and let some of the disciples see Moses and Elijah, right? And so some people think that the Lord, that the devil uh, was trying to stop Moses from being resurrected to be seen at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, I don't know. That could be the case. I can't be sure about that. And some people also believe Elijah and Moses will be the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. And so they think Satan was trying to stop him from fulfilling his role to be one of the two witnesses. Whether or not that's true, I can't tell you. Those are all good guesses. The truth of the matter is nobody knows. And that's not even the point of the story. The point of the story is to show us how Michael the archangel dealt with a person in authority. And that's Satan. The point of this story is that in direct contrast to false believers, even the archangel Michael did not dare to revile against Satan himself. He respected Satan's place of authority. Michael, remember, is an archangel. Michael is a warrior angel. He's one of God's most prominent and powerful angels. He's the greatest of the good angels, but he is still just an angel. 
He is a created being. He's a creature. He's not the creator. He's a servant, not the sovereign. He's a minister, not the master. And as great as Michael the archangel is, guess what? He knows his proper place in God's plan. And he does not go beyond God's authority. That's something these false believers fail to grasp. He's not his own authority. He knows that. Michael knows he's not his own master. Michael knows he's not his own Lord. He's not arrogant. He's not haughty. He's not rebellious. He's not prideful. And if this is how Michael the archangel deals with Satan, how much more should we deal with other people in authority like this? Because there's nobody on this earth in a place of authority that is more evil than Satan himself. That being said... I want you to notice, though, that although Michael did not speak ill of Satan, he did contend against him. You notice this? He did battle against Satan. He did not condemn him, but he contended with him. Michael, as you would expect, he knows the Word of God. He's a student of the Word of God. And so this is how he engages the devil in battle. He engages him in battle by following the model of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Notice this. Michael quotes the Word of God in contending with this person in authority. He says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. Now this comes from the Word of God. This comes from Zechariah chapter 3 verse 2 where Satan on another occasion he made an accusation against Joshua who was the high priest at that time. And on that occasion the angel of the Lord, who's the angel of the Lord? It's Jesus Christ, right? On that occasion when when Satan was bringing this accusation against Joshua, Jesus Christ said, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. What is Michael doing? He's quoting the Scripture. He's quoting the Word of God. He's defending his position by using the Word of God. That's how we deal with authorities. We don't revile against them. We don't speak evil against them. But we don't bow down to them. And we don't bow down to their ungodliness. We use the Word of God to prove what's true. That's how we deal with them. That's how Michael dealt with Satan. Our authority for spiritual welfare is with God and His Word. Not ourselves, not our arguments, not our name calling, not our speaking evil against them. It's in the Word of God. That's where the strength lies. That's how Michael dealt with the devil. And when Michael, notice this, when Michael appealed to the sovereign Lord by using the Word of God, what happened? The battle ended. It's over. Just like that. But false believers, all they do is rail and cuss and revile and speak evil against people in authority. Reject authority. And lastly, they're spiritually ignorant. Verse 10, it says, But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beast in these things. They corrupt themselves. So another distinction of false believers is their huge ignorance of spiritual things. No matter, listen, no matter how highly educated these people say they are and think they are, or how profoundly philosophical they think they are and they think their teaching is, or how many so-called mystical visions and revelations and insights they claim to have, the Bible says they are no more intelligent than brute beasts. 
They're no more intelligent than the stray dog running down the road here at Providence Road. Why? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, because the natural man, that's the lost man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Folks, only saved people have the mind of Christ. Only saved people can understand these things. These people live by their own emotional impulses. And these people, they think like animals. Why? Because they're lost. That's why. They can't discern spiritual things. They speak evil of the truths of God, which they really know nothing about, is what Jude says. Because why? Because the truths of God are eliminated by the Holy Spirit of God who only lives inside a saved man. That's why they deny the Word of God. That's why they can't understand the Word of God. That's why they live the way they do. Some of the things these false believers deny are the Genesis account of creation, the flood, the fact that there's a real Satan, the virgin birth of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, the second coming of Christ, the divine inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture for life and godliness. You can recognize a lot of times these people because they'll say things like this, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's often an indicator that they don't have a real relationship with God. They'll say things like, that Bible was just written by man. Or they'll say things like, oh, there's only parts of that Bible that's true. That's how, that's indicators of these people. The Bible says, professing to be wise, they became fools because the God of this world has blinded their eyes because they're devoid of the Spirit of God. But Jude says that in these things, they actually corrupt themselves or bring judgment upon themselves. Now, don't miss Jude's irony here about this is very ironic about these false believers. They claim a higher spiritual understanding, but their knowledge doesn't even rise above that of animals, Jude says. They claim liberty and freedom in Christ, but they're really slaves and prisoners of their own lust and animal instincts. They claim to be right when the reality is they couldn't be more wrong. They claim to live for God, but they live only for themselves. They claim to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, but by their lives they embarrass Christ and they bring shame to His name they live in a spiritual twilight zone folks it's time to snap out of the spiritual twilight zone it's time to snap back into reality it's time to help others snap back into reality listen God did not send his son Jesus Christ for people just to say I'm saved and then live any old way they want to and believe anything they want to. That's not how it works. Jesus did not die for you so you could live for your fleshly desires. Jesus did not die for you so you could pick and choose what parts of this Bible to believe or even worse, not believe any of it at all. Jesus did not die for you to downgrade His house of worship. He didn't die for those reasons. Jesus died for our sins so that we would exalt Him, so that we would live for Him, so that we would glorify Him, so that we would obey Him. That's why Jesus Christ died for us. 
He died, the Bible says, to make us like Him. For us to be conformed to His image. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us that Jesus bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we, having died to sin, He doesn't say so that we can use His grace as an excuse to sin. No, He says so that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. Folks, that is spiritual reality in the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, is that your reality? Is that what you see manifested in your lifestyle? Is that what you're striving for? Or are you just content to be stuck in a spiritual twilight zone like these false believers we've examined this morning? I hope you'll examine your own life to see if you're stuck in that twilight zone. I hope if you know people who are, that we'll seek to save them out, snap them back to reality of what the Word of God says about true, true spirituality. That's my prayer this morning. Let's stand, Brother Scott. If you'll come, we'll have an invitation.